0: Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast, I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. For more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, ScriptsAndScribes.com. Today on the podcast, our guest is a TV writer and producer whose credits include The Rookie, Hawaii 5 and Chicago Fire. Prior to that, she was the assistant to the renowned producer David Shore. She may be most recognized and celebrated for her work helping fellow writers and assistants in Hollywood as the co-founder of Hashtag PayUpHollywood and the Hashtag WGA Solitaire, Solidarity Challenge Grid. I can say that correctly. The Hashtag WGA <laughs> Solidarity Challenge Grid. Welcome back to the podcast, Liz Alpert. Thanks for coming on, Liz. Yay! Hey, thank you, Kevin. <laughs> you can't come up to the stumble It because it was, it was adorable. <laughs> uh, it's been a while since you've been on the podcast, but uh, I'm glad to finally have you back on to talk about all of uh, the stuff you've been up to, because when we first had you on, you were uh, a showrunner's assistant, and now obviously you've spent multiple yeah. seasons on different shows, so we've got a lot to talk about.
1: Yeah, we're kind of seeing you grow up professionally, which is, it's all been documented
0: here. yeah. yeah. Uh, and if you haven't listened to Liz's first appearance on the podcast, you should definitely check it out. Uh, you can find it on our website, scriptsandscribes.com, and hear about her days as a showrunner's assistant and how she was working her way onto a, a writing staff, before she joined uh, a writing staff anyway. So, uh, But now you're back, and there's a lot to talk about. So I guess my first question um, for this episode is, how has the transition been from your days... As an assistant to now, because we've spoken, but we haven't—I haven't had you on the podcast to talk about it. Um, right. Going from an assistant to a, a working writer on multiple shows.
1: Yeah. So when you're an assistant, you're getting a front-row view to what it's like being in a writer's room, uh, and you're watching all of these writers pitch ideas and produce their episodes and write scripts. And then when you're actually doing it, you're like, "Oh, this is this hits different. This is a different experience altogether." So it's been it's been a whirlwind i think it's it's been crazy adjusting you know your your not just i don't want to say your expectations but basically how you approach a job depending on the job so hawaii 50 required something different from its staff chicago fire required something different from its staff and and besides being two completely different shows Um, one being a procedural and one being a, a, you know, a soap opera. I think it was just what the showrunners needed changed from uh, room to room. So it's just adjusting what you bring to the table to make sure you can, you can be as helpful as possible. Um, But it's, it's still just learning on the fly.
0: Right. A lot of, writers start off as assistants but then there are those who don't as well they get through their first job through uh either just submissions and and staffing season or you know showrunner meetings or through uh one of the fellowships or something so for those writers out there who haven't been an assistant before what are some of the things you learned as an assistant that helped you when you first got on staff as a writer
1: it's a good question because i I knew going into a room that everything I had learned with David was not necessarily going to translate to the room I was in. Um, But going in, I knew that I was going to be writing in someone else's voice. I knew, you know, how how to navigate some of the dynamics in the room, especially if you're with people who are a a little bit more difficult than your average showrunner. David was a dream, but I've talked to enough of, the house writers to know that it, it was a dream scenario. I need to prepare for uh, ro- rockier terrain, mm-hmm. and so being able to to go into a room and know, just have a head start on knowing terminology, knowing um, what a network schedule is, knowing drafts, knowing little things like knowing how final draft works, uh, and knowing how to format my own scripts and. And what pre-pro is like, and how quickly that goes, and just being familiar with that really fast pace of production, it meant that I got a, a flying head start among people who had never been exposed to television production before. Because uh, that's something that is—it's hard to keep up with if you're not familiar with it. I remember even as assistant, uh, as an assistant, when I was on my first show, the pace of production was. Overwhelming, and and I just remember being shocked that after eight days, you know, that episode's done, and you start it all over again.
0: Right. It's often described as a train that just starts rolling during pre-production, and it doesn't stop, and it's going to keep going no matter if you're ready or not.
1: Yeah. And I I'd been an assistant for you know eight years at that point by the time I got staffed, so I I had that endurance built up. I knew what it was like. I knew. The craziness that could happen, and and anything that, um, just that that rule of anything that can go bad will.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I've seen some worst case scenarios where there were uh, extenuating circumstances outside of anyone's control that basically turned an episode upside down. Um, there was an actress who on House uh, was was supposed to be you know it's House is an ensemble. Uh, there was an actress who was going to have kind of her episode focus on uh, just an episode focused on her. And the day before it started shooting, she came down with like, this horrible illness. and was just in the ER, in and out for days. And so they're rewriting the script every single day, because they don't know when she's going to come back. And I think by the end of it, I mean, they they had to write her out of almost every scene and like completely changed the script.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So seeing, seeing things like that happen, it makes you feel a little more uh, comfortable going into your first, you know, producing role. Uh, And that was something that I, I realized very quickly. I had an advantage over anyone else who hadn't worked in television before, because at least, you know, I knew what a props department was. I knew what locations were. I knew what meant to go location scouting. I knew the different uh, types of notes that you would go through. I knew that the script, even in its final form was going to be rewritten heavily. Uh, if not by the showrunner, then by you after you get the network and the studio notes and, you know, even some actor input depending on what show you're on. So knowing that I was part of a team and not, you know, the person in the spotlight gave me a better attitude um, when I first started working, because it it made me understand where I could be the most helpful. And that was the most valuable thing that any writer can offer
0: on a staff. Right. And you had mentioned that you learned the different kinds of notes that as a writer, you're going to get. Can you explain some of those network notes, showrunner notes, all these kinds of things. What kind of notes does a, a newer writer on a staff, what kind of notes do they get?
1: The process of writing a script, you'll write what's called a writer's draft, and that's your draft. That's that's you putting yourself on the page. Sometimes, you know, if if you're short for time, you do group write. Sometimes you have uh, a more senior writer supervising you. Uh Regardless, the first draft is the most you draft that you will put out. That draft goes to the showrunner. They take a look. They give you a bunch of notes, um, depending on maybe their own personal preference, or they might have a different way of uh, executing a scene, or they want their characters to be doing something different in a scene or saying something different. Um, you know, variety of reasons. It's their show. They're allowed So they'll give you their notes. You'll do a pass. You'll give it to them. Usually the showrunner will do their own pass uh, and make it, you know, make it the show that you're used to seeing on TV. And that's, that's something more of a unifying pass. It's, it's never anything to take personally. It's something that happens on pretty much every television show. um, Especially when you're a staff writer or you're a newer writer and you're still getting the hang of it. Um, After that, The draft will go to the studio. The studio will read it. You'll get on a call. They'll give you a round of notes to implement before the draft. The next draft would go to the network, and that's called the network draft. So the network will read it. Um, This tends to be, in my experience, it's always the most anxiety-ridden round of notes because at this point, you're getting very close to production. Most of the times, you're done with the script you know, it could be anywhere between seven and one days before production. So network notes is the last step before you get your production draft. And that's when you go into pre-production. And so if a network blows up your entire script, that's a lot of work you have to get done Mm -hmm. in a very short amount of time. Um, And I've, I've had that happen before where networks read it and they're like, we hate this. We hate, (laughs) you know, it's, it's not that they hate the writing. It's that, we don't like the idea. We don't like that the characters are doing this. We don't want, you know, this story to play. Um, change it. And so you have to change it. And when that happens, it's usually all hands on deck. People will help you rewrite this draft. Sometimes uh, the showrunner will just take it and say, I'm just going to write it because, you know, I it's going to go through fewer steps to get it where it needs to be. Uh, And then once, you know, once you're done with the network draft and they give their blessing, goes on to production. And that's the draft that uh, in pre-production you start working off of. And that's the draft that the line producer will read and start going, "Uh, we can't afford this. You know, we've uh, they start budgeting the episode based on, you know, I think it's either studio network production. It depends on the show. Uh, but they start budgeting out the script and they'll come to you and say like, we can't afford this entire action sequence in the third act. We can't afford it. You need to cut it to something on the stages or you have, you know, six, you have uh, 33 different locations in this <laughs> script. We have to get it down to 15. Like we just we have to for, for time and budget. Um, and so you'll do another round of notes to kind of, make it producible and that's taking into account actor availability. That's taking into account, uh, location, money, all of that days in, days out, uh, any conflicts that your leading cast might have. Uh, so you're, you never stop writing, rewriting this draft. Right. You just never stop. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, showrunners, you'll be getting through pre-production and they'll say, actually, you know what? I've had this idea for the next episode, but it means that we have to change things in this episode so everything makes sense. So we need to rewrite during pre-production and and put out new pages. And so when, you're, when your draft goes to production, it's uh, it's officially locked. And what that means is any changes that, come next are printed on new paper and the rest of the script stays the same unless there's so many changes that they just issue a whole new script. Right. And, and you know, there's, there's a whole variety of colors. So if you're ever on Twitter or you're in a chat room and someone's like, Oh yeah, our show got up to double blues. Um, that's referring to, you know, in production in a locked strip, uh, script, there were so many changes that the, uh, the pages issued went through the color wheel twice. Right. And you know, someone tells you we were on third cherries for that episode, and you just you're, you need to understand. Just buy that poor person a beer and give them a hug. You know, yeah. take them to a spa because they've had a, they've had a rough day.
0: The script coordinator.
1: So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, what, the worst thing I've ever heard is a script coordinator telling you they had to issue third cherry at like three in the morning. Oh, and yeah. that, was, that was like, I don't understand how they were saying.
0: Salmon is my favorite color. Uh, oh, salmon. <laughs> so other than actual experience, like you're talking about in terms of production or in the writer's room, did being a showrunner's assistant or any kind of assistant really help you in other ways in terms of staffing?
1: Oh, yeah. It, it built up my network. Yeah. So being an assistant meant that I got to talk to people Assistants at studios and networks, agencies, management companies, other pods, and those assistants have now risen through the ranks of their directors of development or their VPs of development at their networks. Um, I have a friend who is, you know, one of the VPs at uh, Fox development and i've known her since she was an assistant and like seeing her climb the ranks and work as hard as she has has been amazing um but it's also kind of weird cuz sometimes i'll i'll sit and i'll look at her and be like holy shit like look at us now we we used to you know i remember when we were eating salads and we were talking about our boss's crazy ass schedules and mm-hmm. you know now look at us now now we're the ones with the crazy schedules and this is so cool but also so grown up and and very weird to to take into account. So yeah, it's, it was, it was incredibly beneficial and in getting to learn Hollywood politics and all of the, all of the circumstances that could lead to a show, not getting picked up and, and you know, what sells the product and what, uh, what doesn't, I suppose. So I, I'm grateful for it. Um, I wish they had paid me more, but I think that's, that's, the woe of every assistant in hollywood right
0: right now so from showrunner's assistant to staff writer to story editor ESE, executive story editor uh co-producer what in terms of the different levels of writing on a staff what did you find are is the greatest difference between them in terms of your responsibility and also what you learned from each role as you progressed up the the chain from again, just staff writer to producer level.
1: Yeah. I think the biggest difference that I really saw um, was the jump from lower level to mid level. Mm-hmm. So you know, staff writer, story editor, ESE, you're still kind of getting away with stuff. You know, you're still expected to be learning the ropes and, you know, uh, understanding how to produce and you get a little bit of slack Uh, As co-producer, you know, you're expected to to shoulder some of the burden. And so I would help, um, I would help with the group rights. I would help run the room when the uh, EPs and the co-EPs had to be out. If the showrunner wasn't around and all of the upper levels were off uh, group writing a script, I would be the one helping to run the room and break story. Um, I you know, as a co-producer I supervised one of the new writers on their first uh, produced episode. Huh. Um I I was entrusted to do that and that was very very cool. Um and you're you're basically trusted with more responsibilities. And so you're you, you get to you know you're not exactly in the room where it happens but you get to peek which is cool. You get to sit down in shadow and you, just knowing that uh, just knowing that you're you're expected to really step up and help when the showrunner needs you to help. I don't think that's something that's, you know, specific to any show. I think that's expected of soft writers if your showrunner expects that of you. But across the board, I think it's, it's safe to assume that once you're in the mid-level, people are kind of looking at you to pull your weight. Mm-hmm.
0: As a producer, as a mid-level, you are often assigned to uh, a newer writer, a staff writer or somebody, to help them get their episode ready. Very rarely does a staff writer get a solo credit on a show. They always work with another writer, usually a mid-level. Maybe the showrunner, if they're lucky, but usually a mid-level. And... What is that like from your side, actually having done both, having been a staff writer, I'm sure you worked with a a mid-level, and as a mid-level working with a staff writer, how does that relationship work? And again, I'm sure it's different in many cases, depending on the parties involved and and the writers involved and and their styles, but maybe you can shed a little light on that process.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in both cases, um, when I was a staff writer, I basically shadowed the co-producer who was writing the first episode. Uh, with us. And the same thing happened when I was the co-producer um, helping the staff writer on the rookie with their first episode. Uh, usually the staff writer whose episode it is uh, will shadow the um, more senior writer who's kind of going through and, and producing the episode and helping them, um, you know, figure out what the best decisions are. Cause it, the hardest thing to do isn't necessarily produce an episode and make the decisions. It's that you're making the decisions on behalf of the showrunner. So you are standing in on behalf of the showrunner, making the decisions you think that the showrunner would like. Uh, So you have to put, you you, you have your own personal preference and you have your own, you know, ideas for certain, but you have to make sure that, the final product is something that, you know, resembles an episode of whatever show it is that you're producing. You have to understand what makes the show work and what is at the heart of each show that, that, you know, has to be there for every episode. So for example, for, for the rookie, it's, it's a funny show, but it's not a sitcom, you know, play big for laughs kind of over the top sort of funny. The humor is, is rooted in the everyday observations. So you have to make sure that you don't go too slapstick or if you're choosing that they're not, you know, that they feel very real and very grounded and not like they're supposed to be in a sitcom. Um, and sometimes it's tough to, um, Calibrate your taste to what the showrunner's taste is. So that's where and uh, and an more seasoned writer like me comes in. And so the staff writer will be there to to ask any questions that they want, weigh in when it's appropriate, uh, be there for for the shooting of the episode, and basically be a fly on the wall to see how it's all done. Um, with the intent that after you've gone through this sort of shadowing process, you will be able to take the reins on your next episode, um, and that's what happened. When I was a staff writer, we shadowed uh, this more senior writer for our first episode. When we wrote the second episode, we produced it and we went out to set and we covered set and we're basically trusted to to run our own thing.
0: Well, Ch- Chicago Fire was your first. Staff writing gig, correct? Yes. Did you guys shoot on a lot?
1: No, they shot in Chicago.
0: Oh, okay. So then this question may not be be as applicable, although I'm still curious. What was it like walking onto the lot or onto set uh, or even into the writer's room as an assistant and then walking into a writer's room or the set or on the lot being a member of the writing staff?
1: it was basically the same feeling. Hmm. It was just this, this feeling of, I can't believe I'm here.
0: Yeah. I can't
1: believe I did it. Chicago fire was a little different um, because the story of Chicago fire is my alarm did not go off on my very first day. And I woke up, realized I was going to be late, like threw on clothing and, and, drove at 90 miles an hour down the 405 from the west side to the valley uh and ran in just as you know everyone was gathering to go into the room like basically in the nick of time so right. that was more of a oh my god I'm such an idiot I can't believe I did that and then once I was in the room and all the adrenaline you know wore off it was like I can't believe I'm here I can't believe I'm doing this I can't believe I'm going to get paid to do this thing I've been wanting to do all of my life and and I'm actually here. It's it's an amazing, intoxicating feeling, and it never gets old. It does not get old. I'm gonna say like I'm I'm still amazed that people let me do this for my right. career. I've been really lucky because all of my jobs have been on lots, and that's that's not the case with certain writers. That's not the case with assistants. Um, when I was, you know, my my first writing gig. Uh sorry, my first assistant gig was on house
0: mm-hmm.
1: and those that was on the fox lot. Mm-hmm. our offices were right across from our stages I mean talk y- y- i couldn't have gotten more spoiled right. that was such an incredible first experience um when I went to Monday mornings again, we were on the Manhattan beach lot. our stages were right there as well um and so again i was I was on a lot when I went with david to his overall deal we had offices on the sony lot and so I, I basically just went from lot to lot i just need to get a job on the disney uh lot and i'll be you know that's my it's my bingo
0: you, you, oh nice what did you shoot at paramount uh hawaii 5 oh okay we I didn't know. shoot there but our offices were there oh nice i wanted to talk a little bit about one of your babies i guess i should say the uh, WGA Solidarity Challenge Grid. I knew I could say it if I yeah. uh, really tried hard. Enough. I know. <laughs> you couldn't have made it simpler. <laughs> um, but how and obviously it started out of a need uh, or a desire to build the community from the uh, the whole WGA-ATA sort of split. But where did the idea come from and how did it sort of form? It seemed to. Come out of nowhere yeah, so, and become this big thing.
1: Yeah. So the WGA Solidarity Challenge um, was created by Javi Grillo.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Javi Grillo Maruch, Marucha. I, I'm sorry, Javi. I, I butcher your name. There's an X in there, and it always trips me up. Um, but he created something called the WGA Solidarity Challenge as a way to encourage uh, show showrunner level writers and other senior level writers. Uh, to read lower and mid-level writers who are in danger of falling through the cracks during staffing season and offer a recommendation on Twitter. And and it wouldn't be a job. It wouldn't be uh, an offer of employment. But what it would be saying is, hey, I am using my name and my clout in this industry to recommend this sample that you have written. And if that can help you get your foot in the door for this stopping season, please use it. Use it to get, you know, interest in, in managers or from pods or from networks and studios. Use it however you may. He asked all of the uh, senior level and showrunner level writers to consider participating, and quite a few did. It was this big, you know, big swell of solidarity to make sure that the people who needed help Um, we're getting it not just from the guild, but from the membership as well. And so what these writers would do was read scripts, go on, hey, Twitter world, I just read this great script by so-and-so. This is what it's about. This is what I loved about it. You should read it. And that's great, except those recommendations are pretty much available in your timeline for 20 minutes, and then they disappear. And they still you know, they still exist, they're just no longer on your timeline because other tweets have, have appeared and, you know, everything's being updated in real time. So what I did uh, was took the tweets from the upper level and, and, you know, senior level, showrunner level typewriters and formatted them in a grid similar to how I would format uh, writer submissions for, a you know, being uh, submitted for a pilot uh, to staff and i made it public i sent it out to people i just said if this helps use it like people are reading people are recommending and they're doing this all on twitter where it gets lost so i'm just making sure that everything gets written down basically taking notes um and it blew up it it ended up being a staffing tool for networks and studios and there have been, uh, I've, I've gotten notes saying, Hey, I just got my manager cause they saw my name on this grid and it's great. And now I have reps and I feel, you know, kind of, uh, you know, I feel elated I feel excited. I feel like maybe I'm actually going somewhere and that everything's going to be okay. And that's a great feeling. So I, I've, I've been doing that for the last year. Um, we're gearing up to do, you know, the big, network push uh, for this season.
0: How many writers are actually on the grid currently?
1: Yeah. So I've been breaking them down into what's called, I've been calling seasons mm-hmm. um, rather than tab one, tab two and tab three. Right, um, And that's basically cause yeah, we were, I was, I, I, I can't even think now it's in the hundreds. Like, I think there's, we're well into like 500 submissions, not all unique. Um, I'd have to go through and count all the unique ones, but definitely like close to 400 unique writers, um, Mm -hmm. which is cool. And this uh, for for this next staffing season, I started what's what's being called season three. And that's the fresh start. And if you've been on the list before and someone else reads your sample, someone new reads your sample and recommends it. You, you can go on season three and if you're brand new to everything and someone reads your sample, you also go on season three. So it's basically, you know, it's not necessarily starting from ground zero, but it's, uh, it's just resetting so that everyone gets more
0: of a shot. Right. I noticed that there are, it's called the hashtag WGA solidarity challenge, but I've noticed it seems like there are, pre wga i think is the term writers in there as well is that correct
1: yes yeah, so the wga solidarity challenge is it, you have to be a wga senior level or showrunner level type writer sure um in order to to read and kind of participate if you will right um i think originally Hobby's challenge um was only for wga writers and then as as the months went on, there were a lot of pre-WGA writers, as um, the term was coined, that were getting read and, and getting recommended. And it was, you know, a, there have been a lot of pre-WGA writers who have also been affected by the current action. Um, and so I wanted to make sure that if they were being recommended they, by, you know, the appropriate level writer that they went on the grid. Okay. Cuz why not? Sure. So yeah.
0: And what level do you consider to be the senior level you know for recommendations for the grid? Is it supervising? Is it
1: It's supervising and above. Gotcha. And I broke that down cuz when I was on when I was an assistant, we categories categorized writers um, by lower, mid, and upper. Mm-hmm. And once you hit supervising producer, it was like supervising producer, co EP, EP, showrunner, consulting. And basically, what it means is those are the expensive writers. Right. Yeah. More importantly, for me, one of the reasons that I've, I've been so adamant about um, the senior level writers, you know, basically the recommendations coming from senior level writers, is that when this grid goes out to People at networks, people at studios. If you're a newer writer, they might not. You might not have the name recognition. Um, if you're a senior level writer, you've been around for at least a little bit, so someone can look at the grid and say, "Oh, Sean Ryan read this person. And I love Sean Ryan's stuff. Right. I love The Shield. Let me make sure that I read this." Or, "Oh, I, you know, I see that Amy Berg has." read this person. I love Amy Berg's stuff. Let me read that. Or Alexi Hawley recommended this person. I love The Rookie. I love Castle. I know you know what his tastes are. Let me read that because I have a show that's going to be very similar that this person could be a
0: good fit for. Right. It's basically like a referral through, yeah. through Twitter, I suppose. It's like a tweet of recommendations. Right. How many submissions do you get a day or a week, and how long does it take you to input all these names into the grid it's got to be it's difficult about, to filter through them
1: yeah it's yeah exactly it's especially um i think wma solidarity challenge has been used to to help and and also you know to help pass along the favor with um lower level writers but it's also being used with people who are trying to promote so it, it's it's a lot harder to sift through the noise than it was last year.
0: Uh
1: Um, And it's not, it's not that it takes an absurd amount of time, but it's, you know, it, it takes a little bit of time. It takes, you know, enough time uh, out of my day that I'm like, okay, I have to budget for this. And then it's just, I've also been incredibly busy with uh, board and, Negcom and trying to write my own pilot so I can go up for staffing and and be you know continue being a writer.
0: Right, uh, that thing. That
1: it, it's just yeah you you know it's your career whatever yeah. Yeah. something to pay for the roof over my head. <laughs> um, it, it it it's a lot. It gets to be a lot sometimes. So I try and update it once a week. Last year it was because it was so new and it was brand new you know, resource and everything was going crazy. I was on that grid updating, I think at least five to six hours every day. And I was giving updates three times a week. Um, And I'm I'm guessing it, I'm hoping it doesn't get to that point this year, but if it does, like I'm going to be ready for it. Uh, But with the coronavirus and with everything that's going on in the world, that's been taking up a lot of space on Twitter. So even when I tweet out, updates or when people tweet out other updates it doesn't necessarily get the traction that it would have last
0: year because there's so much going on in the world so i guess the last question i would just say is uh what sort of advice do you have for those writers out there who want to be liz alper and not with the with the wga solidarity challenge grid but you know with with the writing and the career and and that kind of thing what what advice would you have for writers out there (laughs) (laughs) I I, I just
1: slapped my hand over my mouth to stop laughing when you said that. I was like, oh, no. Aim higher, children. (laughs) Please. For your sake and for mine, just please aim higher. Um, No, I I think this is the advice that I've given previously, but it it remains to this day and it's find your people. Um, Find the people whose notes you trust, um, whose Understand what you're going through, who knew you, you know, before you did anything, before other people knew your name, when you were just kind of a nobody hanging against uh, the dance wall. Just find the people who have your back no matter what, uh and who, you know, are going to see you through the rough times. Because those are the people that you turn to when your grid, you know, punch in variety and and things start to go crazy and and you don't quite know how to, how to navigate what comes next you know having a foundation built out of friendship uh, is going to it's going to see you through pretty much anything um and that's that's how it's been for me that's been the thing that's been consistent this entire year is the people that I have turned to when I've needed them or if I've had questions or if I wasn't sure how to proceed, they are the people that I've, I've trusted for the last 10 years. And I'm so glad to have them now. So first and foremost, you know, make those relationships, make those friendships. You know, don't just go out and network for the sake of networking. Go and find your people.
0: And be sure to follow Liz on Twitter. It's at Liz Alps. And you also do you run the WGA Solidarity uh Twitter account? Isn't there one for that? There as well? isn't
1: one. There's there's Littoria runs the WGA staffing boost.
0: WGA uh, staffing we, boost, that's what it is.
1: Yes. Yeah. So the difference is Solidarity Challenge is for scripts, uh Staffing Boost is promoting people.
0: There you go. So be sure to follow yeah. both though. But yes, first, follow. follow first follow Liz Alps though at Liz Alps.
1: Oh, I said, and then very quickly follow WGA Staffing Booth. Yes,
0: right after. And uh, do you have other social media?
1: Uh, that's the big one. So I, I, I try and stay off of social media. I am on Instagram, um, and that's at Liz Alps. Uh, and that's that's I, I post about pay a Hollywood stuff sometimes and, and and little things here and there. Uh, but Twitter's the big one.
0: Yep. and your Instagram is mostly pictures of your pets, your dog and your cat, and your food. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Well, that's it. Thanks for coming on today, Liz. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kevin. It was great doing this again. And as always, thank you for listening. Be sure to check out our entire library of interviews on scriptsandscribes.com. And remember to keep writing, and we'll see you next time.